Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Taylor Jacobson, uh, the CEO and founder of Focusmate. And Focusmate is a really interesting product that matches you with a virtual co-working buddy. Um, and then you basically just mentioned three goals, three goals you want to accomplish. And then you don't really talk and you just work virtually uh, with another person. Uh, and then you end by uh, talking about what you achieved. Um, and I've used it both with friends uh, and the product, product itself, this brilliant product. Can you talk about more about how you came up with the idea and what led you to build this? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I am a lifelong procrastinator. Um, and I guess you could say it's <laughs> one of like the core stresses in my life has been being, I think, a creative person and someone with great aspirations who just, have always been fighting myself and like in college I solved that problem by every single class I took I would find a study buddy and that worked and then in the workplace you, you have a lot of accountability in the workplace but when I started working for myself I I went from basically being a high performer to a low performer um, and then fast forward a few years, I was actually, I was talking to a friend who was also self-professed procrastinator. And I was mentioning how I had been putting off writing a blog post and he was putting off writing an investor deck. And we just had this idea to get on a video call together for a couple hours and, and we structured, we structured it. We sort of talked about exactly what we were going to do and we wrote it down in the chat interface of the video call and we just got to work and it was just so effective. So he and I did that every day that week. You know, I wrote my blog post, he did his deck, but pretty quickly it was obvious that we had found something that other people would find valuable as well, that we were not uniquely bad procrastinators or something. So the seed of focus mate was just creating this community of people who were sort of signing, you know, raising their hand to say, I would like to be held accountable. I would like to achieve more. And then the utility of making it really like no coordination required in order to find those kind of people. Um, having the predictability of knowing what happens when you show up will be a structured interaction that's going to guarantee that you're productive. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the kernel of focus made. That's what we, that we built initially and where we're moving toward is building a more personalized experience. That's like the ability to really work with who you want to work with in the ways that you want to work. Um, whether that's, you know, I go to 
I go to Duke and I want to work with other Duke students, maybe who are even part of this class that I'm taking, or I work at this company and we're all remote or we're really distributed. And so I want to work with other people in my company or just like, these are the people that I've met in Focusmate that I really love and I'm going to put mm -hmm. them in my favorites or like, I really didn't like this person and I'm going to put them on my blacklist, whatever the case. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a more deeply personalized um, experience for you. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about how accountability can help us manage stress? Because what you talked about, as you talked about how you created it, there is a lot of stress that you started to put on yourself, essentially saying, like, I went from this really high performer in this accountability environment to a, a low performer because you weren't kind of doing the things that you wanted to do. Can you talk more about this kind of self-created stress that we put on ourselves once we're in an environment without rules, without structure? Totally. Yeah. Um, just preparing for your show, like got me th really thinking about this. And I, I really believe stress is a useful tool um, in limited quantities. And, and there's research by um, someone named Teresa Amabile at, at Harvard that shows that um, the optimal conditions for innovation are low pressure. Mm. So not zero pressure, not high pressure, low pressure. Mm. And I think that's a good proxy or another way to think about stress it's like pressure that we put on ourselves where we, you have some aspiration you have some way you want the world to be and it's not like that yet and so there's this gap and so i think that it's a positive like adaptation to help mm. motivate you and to like you know get you out of bed in the morning because you're stressed yeah. that's okay um but it's just one tool you know and it's definitely not enough <laughs> mm. so i just think accountability is another tool and the reason I think it's great, aside from the fact that it works, um, or I guess I should say the reason it works, the reason it's great is that we're tribal animals and we respond, I guess to take a step back, we evolved in tribes. And if you didn't conform or sort of have a strong sense of membership in the tribe, you would be dead. Right. So it's a strong evolutionary trait. We respond to social triggers, to tribal triggers and accountability is kind of just like it's, it's making your performance visible to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and so you add that condition in and suddenly we're like, Oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to be ostracized from the tribe. So I'm going to do this thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's as simple as that. It just, it's very effective and it's another tool to kind of introduce into the equation alongside stress and to hopefully bring stress into, you know, into check so that it can still provide value. Um, just not overwhelm us. Hmm. And can you talk more about what your definition of creativity is and how you view yourself as a creative individual? Yeah. Um, I think creativity is, it's an act of creation that is in some way personal. So <laughs> I came up with this example, um, which maybe tells you about what's in my kitchen. But uh, I was thinking like, heating up veggie burgers is not creativity because there's nothing personal about it. But if you were to like make your own veggie burger, you know, like mm -hmm. pull together your own recipe and like try and figure out a process to do it, there's something creative about that. Mm -hmm. um, and you asked a part two to that question that I totally lost. Uh -huh. 
And so what is that relationship between creativity and stress? We already talked about a little bit with this kind of low level stress is the most uh, uh, important thing to have for actually motivating yourself to create. Um, is there any other connection you see between creativity and stress? Yeah, I think it's like the creative impulse and the, the you have a vision for something mm. that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, not, not even in like a grandiose sense. You're like, I have a presentation tomorrow and I'm, I haven't written it yet, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you have that creative impulse or uh, motivation to make something that's not yet there. Um, I think that can directly create stress the mm. you know the result of that gap between what you see what you want there to be and what is now um can be stress inducing to the extent that you have like any that there's any stakes or there's any um risk that you won't do it uh -huh. i mean like i i don't have stress about waking up tomorrow it's not something that I can control or that my procrastination is going to affect, but I, you know, there is a risk that I will not, um, you know, build the financial model that I'm, that I'm working on this week. Right. And so, you know, is that a creative endeavor? I don't know, but I think that the relationship is there's something that you want to build and then there's this gap and there's this risk that you won't follow through on it. And I think that's where stress comes into, into the equation. That's interesting. Have you ever been through a point in your life where you took on too much stress uh, and it caused you to burn out or other, other issues? I mean, maybe when I was a management consultant, um, mm. it was just high workload, high, in, you know, high client pressure and team pressure and sort of a pressure cooker, I guess. Mm. Um, and, and that certainly induced really high performance but it was exhausting at times. Um, so it definitely helped me figure out like there is a line here. And if I cross and a lot of, honestly, for me, a lot of that line is physi physiological. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's mental too, but where the way that I, I connect to it is often just like, wow, if I'm fatigued, then suddenly I just, my ability to my, like my resilience, my sort of like um, shock, absorbers just get totally flatlined and I just suck at everything and everything mm. stresses me out and I do everything badly. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that line can be crossed without it really directly being stressed. Like I could just be tired because I was an idiot and I took a red uh, a, a red eye and then suddenly like life's, you know, the regular pressures of my job are suddenly stressing me out a lot more. So I do think there's kind of, it's sort of an equation or a balance of like taking care of yourself physically so that you have the resilience to handle a certain level of stress. And then also finding your kind of your personal comfort, mm. maybe comfort zone is the wrong word. It's more mm -hmm. like your personal Goldilocks, a Goldilocks yeah. kind of like the, that ideal stress that makes you perform at a higher level, but doesn't cause you to have a negative feedback loop where you're just kind of stuck in this, in this unproductive state. Totally. Yeah. And, and actually like what I think is interesting about this, at least for me is um, I feel like as an ambitious person, a lot of the environments that I spent time in as a young person, um, college management consulting were places that really valued like the grind. And I think that's an American thing too. I think there's a, a lot of value of that in entrepreneurship. You know, Gary Vee's always talking about, the importance of the grind. I love Gary Vee, but there is this kind of uh, fetishization of porn. 
yeah, of working really hard. And um, that, that just doesn't, I mean, at least for me, that is not useful. I'm so driven that what's useful and important for me is finding the sustainable equilibrium and then just give like hugging the shit out of it. And mm-hmm. sorry, I don't know if your, <laughs> your podcast is clean or not, but um, yeah. And then just like not tilting myself because yeah. I didn't like work harder than that and just think, you know what, this, this is a marathon. My job isn't to work harder. My job is to do this sustainably and be a happy, good person or, you know, whatever is like the narrative I need to tell myself that allows me to stop working. And it's cool. And this has been on my mind a lot recently. Uh, I've interviewed another, a friend of mine also in New York, who's a CEO of this company called uh, Invisible. And what they do is automate repetitive work using a network of um, uh, uh, people who are just doing tasks. And uh, and so basically they're automating repetitive work. And it seems very clear that the first work that will be going is the grind when auto- when artificial intelligence starts coming into our, into our lives and starts to just automate most of the tasks that we find ourselves doing repetitively. And the only thing left will be creative work. And creative work requires this kind of balance that you're talking about, this essentially like, okay, I can't, if I, if I take that red eye, if I do this work, I won't be able to do that creative work because that takes silence. That takes um, kind of the ability to, to disconnect from all these ridiculous voices coming into our head. And that it seems like it takes a certain, a different type of, um, uh, of lifestyle than the grind. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a thousand percent agreement. However, I will say, I don't think that that change is predicated on the strength of artificial intelligence or technology or anything else. I just think it's a thing that we do to ourselves. Mm. And today, it's, I think it's still very true for a lot of us anyways, that what we will categorize as creative work, original work, deep thinking, you know, Cal Newport's deep work, whatever, mm. is very, very high value work compared to other stuff that we could, you know, it doesn't have to be AI that does it. You could just be your colleague that does it, or you could just not do it because <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not as valuable. Yeah. Something has to get not done. Yeah. Um, and I just think that we're really, we're bad at it. Um, we're bad at one, choosing the right type of work to do. Correct. Yeah. We're bad at choosing the right type of, or you alluded to something really important, which is sometimes not working is actually more productive. I mean, it sounds really obvious when it's coming out of my mouth, but it's not not obvious. obvious. And sometimes the most productive thing you can do is sleep. In fact, I would say that's probably the most productive thing that most people, most hardworking people can do, period. Um, But like, I try to take a walk every day and I'll, you know, a walk, I'll do a little workout, I'll take my dog to the dog park and it can wind up being like two even two and a half hours in the middle of my day. Um, but my, you know, we'll say my monkey mind is like constantly encroaching on that mm. because I'm like, Oh, you got to do, 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 do. And there is, um, there's research that says that we do a lot less um, reflective work than executive work because reflective work doesn't feel as good, even though mm. people who do more reflective work are more productive. Mm. And that's really interesting because what you said about reflective work and what you said about that voice in your head, maybe this is something I'm, I'm uh, projecting, but the voice in your head that seems to be 
yelling at me. So I'll talk to me that, that I have a voice in my head that yells at me if I'm not doing something, but that very act of listening to that voice and not paying attention to it and reflecting, even though it's telling me that I'm doing something wrong is the more effective thing to do. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, one o'clock rolls around for me, that's like a breaking point in my day usually. And there's something in front of me on my screen that needs to get done. And then there's this calendar entry that says, take a walk, go to the park. Uh, it actually says nature slash walk. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, the thing going through my mind is like, oh, just spend like a few more minutes and finish this thing, mm -hmm. right? And like, what, what are the odds that like you actually miraculously finish working on something right at 1259 and you're like, all right, now it's time to go to the park. That never happens, right? What mm -hmm. happens is you're in the middle of something. It's important. It feels like if you just do that thing, it'll, it'll kind of scratch that itch. It'll feel better. And then there's this abstract notion that, oh, if I go take a walk, I will, you know, my, my mind will be occupied, will be less occupied and I'll start to solve some of the complex problems that are in my space right now that, you know, if you try and tackle them head on, you just can't get a solution to. And mm -hmm. um, I, I wrote a blog post about this, um, about attentional space. And that there's a story about how Einstein, when he would encounter a really hard problem, he would play the violin. Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of taps, you know, when you do something like playing the violin, it uses a different part of your brain that um, allows your sort of your unconscious mind to mm -hmm. like, solve complex problems. Mm -hmm. so. Anyway, that was a total tangent, but <laughs> yeah. Well, and okay, and we could co go further down the tangent. I'm going to offer two different uh, opportunities we can go. Uh, the first is I want to hear from either you or some of your clients or some of the people that use Focusmate about over scheduling these Focusmate sessions because of what we're talking about this time for uh, rest. Um, and the other one is the uh, actually I'm losing it now. So let's. Let's go. Let's let's talk about the. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about your clients or the people on Focusmate and how they use Focusmate and and this essentially maybe there's some of them or you yourself overschedule yourself uh, with these Focusmate sessions and don't leave enough time for this reflective work. It's an astute observation. Um, so I think that like whatever is your like predominant musculature can be mapped onto Focusmate. Um, if your tendency is to just grind, 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 like you can easily continue to overwork on Focusmate um, just by scheduling too many of them. That said, I personally, and I know I'm not the only one, I personally find that um, there's more clarity and visibility into when I'm working and not working. And so there, there's sort of this self-awareness loop that happens where after a few weeks using Focusmate, I'm, I'm literally scheduling a Focusmate appointment when I am free. It's my sort of like um, stake in the ground that says, here's when I should be productive. And um, so it sort of helps to create an artifact or an awareness of when are the times that I should be working because these are the times that I like to work, that I have good energy. And um, so it actually helps to create some routine mm -hmm. around like what works for you and what uh, create some awareness and then create some routine around what works and what doesn't. And I would say that I, I definitely don't work more. I just work much more effectively. So the hours that I'm booking those appointments are much more likely to be focused, intentional, high energy, 
And then I just don't book, I don't anymore book appointments at times when I'm like, there's no way that I'm going to want to work then. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. what happens is then I finish my last appointment or, or finish my last appointment of the day of the morning of whatever. And I'm like, boom, I'm done freedom. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to, you know, fire up Netflix, whatever. And I actually have less guilt about the time that I'm spending taking a walk at the park Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's in much more stark relief against the time that I'm working, which has these boundaries around it called focus mate. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really what a lot of psychologists talk about is setting firm boundaries, both with yourself and other people, as opposed to what you're doing. And that kind of fits well with that idea of essentially like focus mate allows you to put work in this box that you're doing for even, you know, whatever, two hours, four hours a day. Um, and then in that moment, you're very focused. And whenever I've done this with another friend or on focus mate, I become, it's a, it's immediately puts me into flow. Um, because I have someone else in the same shared conscious space of, okay, we're working now. And I'm like, okay, task, 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 task. Um, which is really helpful. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about flow and like how, how, what, what does some of the research say about flow? What, how are you guys building that into the product and everything like that? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, here's, I'll, I'll give you kind of some of the layers, unpack the layers of what goes into making focus made effective. And it's, it's like probably all this stuff, you know, and I bet a lot of your listeners know too, cause it's like, pop culture, science, mm-hmm. productivity, porn, whatever. Um, yeah. So there's this idea of pre-commitment that if you commit to something far ahead, it's a lot easier to commit than if I wake you up at 6.30 a.m. and I'm like, Stuart, let's go for a run. You'll be like, go away. But if you tell me, you know, two days uh, beforehand, you're going to do it. So we tap into pre-commitment. Um, and then there is um, – this moment of specifying and setting an intention. Um, Lots of research that just setting an intention, der, like that helps you be effective. Sharing that with somebody helps you be more productive. Writing it down helps you be more productive. Um, And then we've talked about reflection. At the end of every focus mate session, you reflect. So like, it doesn't always go well, Um, if it doesn't go well, you get to stop. And in that moment, be like, Oh, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. And if you just like slide off and go to check an email or go to get a snack in the kitchen, you have, there's no awareness created about what just happened and why it was bad. So focus mate allows you to stop, create that awareness and do something different. Or if it went really well, you get to do the same thing and reflect on what, why it went really well. So, um, and then there was one more piece that, uh, Mm -hmm. entered, one ear and went out the other. Um, I forget, but um, yeah, yeah. that really, and that's interesting because that matches up with actually some um, uh, tantric scripture from the 1600s. There's this type of philosophy called Kashmir Shaivism, um, which is a meditative yoga, yogic philosophy. uh, And they talk about every single phenomenon in, in existence has three main stages. There's the beginning, the maintaining and then the ending. Um, And so what I've found is that if I look at that through life, if I look at every interaction that I have, the beginning of the interaction, the sustaining of the interaction and the ending of interaction, it allows you to put little triggers into that as well. Um, So like you said, beginning intention 
and then the 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 session is 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 actually happening and then there's an ending where you look back okay this is i'm now done with that thing and i'm now moving on to the next thing um if you look at it like that's that's the way every single thing comes into our consciousness our awareness and everything like that there's like oh i'm aware of my breath i'm continued awareness of my breath and then i lose awareness of my breath and move on to the next uh thing yeah that's cool. I, uh, there's this like catchphrase out there that powerful endings make for powerful beginnings. Mm. And I think, um, you know, th there's real power in like making the end of something a real phase as opposed to just like a, uh, a moment in time mm -hmm. um, that's arbitrary. You celebrate it. Yeah. You know, you yeah. asked about flow. Um, I think there's more research about like what flow is than how to create it. And I would say, uh, I kind of hope that we, we can contribute to the body research on how to create it. Um, uh -huh. and we've, uh, we started talking to a couple professors, one at Columbia and one at NYU Stern, who basically said like, oh, there's no, there's no research on anything out there like this. And we don't even necessarily know exactly what is the magic that's happening here. Yes, there's all these things that I mentioned earlier that are studied phenomena, but you know, why, when you put them together like this, does that help induce flow? Mm. It's, it's not, um, it's not totally clear. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I want to, I want to go to what we, we talked a little bit before the show about meditation and about Vipassana. Um, and I wrote this article, article blog post that you wrote about meditation and that you just, it, 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 there's some things you see as issues with the current meditation kind of like um, trend. Can we, can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it starts with like my own good and bad experiences with meditation and I've had a lot of both. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of big hairy bad one was, um, and it wasn't even all bad. I, I did Vipassana, mm. um, I guess 2010, let's say. Uh, and it was a really cool experience, uh, and I got a lot out of it. Um, but one of the things that happened was, uh, I experienced a lot of pain uh. during Vipassana. And, um, I guess I just viewed that as like part of the process. And I, tr I kind of compartmentalized it as like a necessary, not, necessary evil is not even the right word. It's sort of just like, this is this is giving me some gift that I haven't yet identified yet. So let me just be with it. And that's like, the, when, if you do Vipassana, like pretty much the thing that's being repeated over and over is just like to, to be with it. And there's more instructions than that. But what you, what I kind of took away from a lot of the instructions is don't you dare move. Like you got, you got this. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was doing it in India and like everyone there, you know, in India, people grow up sitting a lot more, um, than we do here. Like we sit in chairs in India, they sit on the floor a lot more. And, and so people are just more flexible. Um, Indians are more flexible than Americans, I would say. And I, so I was really struggling also to sit in any of the positions that were sort of what everyone else was doing. I really should have been, I should have got a chair or I should have got like 18 more pillows, whatever mm -hmm. I needed, but I didn't do that. So, you know, what we were talking about before was um, before the show started was just how I kind of like, I mapped my, existing level of wisdom about the world and myself and mapped that onto Vipassana, which was like, you need to like do this. You need to do this right. Mm. 
Um, and that wound up having me really tax my body pretty severely. And not mm. long after that, I herniated a disc in my back, which mm. uh, I don't know for sure that that's what caused it, but I could say my back was like really unhappy for that entire thing. And um, so, yeah, I just think like kind of what the problem is, is there's too much, um, I just think we, you know, it's, it, everything becomes a fad. We get like too much, too wrapped up in like one idea. And it's, you know, I, I, I would guess you're around my age. I, yoga wasn't really a thing when I was a kid. It started to become a thing. Maybe I, I want to say like 2007. I remember joining a gym when I graduated college and they started to have yoga classes, but it really wasn't popular. Certainly not a single dude in the universe that I knew was doing yoga at that point in time. And then suddenly like it's a major, major thing. And now we're on to more, you know, flywheel or whatever we're on to now. But um, yeah, I just think we like dramatically, we, we like, we turn something into a religion and there's like a righteousness mm. about it. And yeah. um, so then of course we like, we missed the point. And then it also the other issue, which Krishnamurti talks a lot about, uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti, he, he talks about essentially, we have this projection machine in our head that's always looking at everything and projecting our past experiences onto our current reality. Um, and through this process, we basically, when we choose to do, we choose a type of meditation that will fit in with our previous thing. So it's like everything we do, we then cr we grasp onto that thing. And we're like, okay, now I know what to do. I'm going to do this with a technique and we're going to do this right and everything like that. But it's all just, we're all just mucking around in the same thing. We haven't, we haven't actually like taken that next step up to like, wh why am I here? What am I doing? Who am I? Like, um, and, and that can only come from once you, that you, that the recognition, recognition that we are all fucking confused confused all the time uh, and that none of us really know what we're doing um, and then kind of just sitting with that and waiting kind of like what you're talking about that reflective work of like okay do I really need to be doing this what 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 am I here what why am I doing this what am I doing um, totally yeah like it, the real breakthrough for me in that situation would have been oh you don't there you can't do this right yep. um, and mm. wow you're like really scared to go get a chair right now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, what's that? Yeah. Right? And, uh, and like, oh, well, that unto itself would have been a breakthrough. I didn't get that far. But, of course, then going and getting the chair, that would have been, like, a really cool thing mm -hmm. for me because it would have been uh, applying a different, like, behavioral schema. And it doesn't matter if you're in a Vipassana retreat when you do that. The whole point is, uh, the whole point of meditation is, like, oh, maybe this is a, this is a technique that you can practice that will help you in life to change your behavior and, and not, you know, okay, so you're a competitive person. So you're going to go find uh, uh, like Bikram yoga or something like hot power yoga so that you can be the best. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. You're with that's me. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you, this was a question that kept on coming up to my mind. How do you figure out what work you need to be doing in the moment um, and what work is not worthy of your time? Um, it's a really good question. So I can tell you what I do right now. It's like, it's, it's always evolving and I've actually changed some stuff about my system recently. In fact, this year, like in the last 10 days, literally, I, 
I realized that I've never really thought about strategy. I don't even really know what strategy is. It's mm. a buzzword. It's overused. Um, it's used almost with no meaning because, you know, it's, there's <laughs> people talk about strategy as a, a strategy could be a goal. A strategy could be a tactic. It, like you get the point. Mm -hmm. um, so like literally right now, what I'm wrestling with is like, Oh, what is really good strategy? And I just read this, this, or I'm reading this book called good strategy, bad strategy. It's mm. profound, mm. at least for me insight that is, um, wow. Strategy is a combination of number one, diagnosing the problem mm. that around which you want to align all of your energies and how you die, what problem you diagnose or how you diagnose it has a total and decisive impact on what then becomes the right or wrong thing to do or higher leverage thing to do. Um, so like if you define the problem as um, I don't know, I let's make it about like health or something. If you define the problem as I am at risk of diabetes and, you know, dying early because of my diet, that will send you down one direction in terms of your health behaviors. Or you could diagnose the problem as I can't get a date mm. because of the way I look. Mm. And that will send you down a whole bunch, you know, you're going to maybe get a dating coach. Mm. I don't know what. So, mm. um, and can I, I want to add something that most people diagnose the problem. They actually diagnose the symptoms as opposed to the problem. Uh, so they diagnose I'm having pain in my leg. Pain is not the, the problem. Pain is a symptom of another problem. Um, so that's, yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is, a, it is a problem diagnosis unto itself. And that, then, then you're going to go find, likely kind of superficial actions to take in order to address that problem. So anyways, I, I think this is just like a really cool big idea that I'm excited about right now. And, and, and I believe will have a huge impact over how I choose what to do and, and a really well-crafted strategy. Um, you know, so it starts with the problem diagnosis and then it comes to what's called a guiding policy, which is like the sort of principle um, that, can help you determine the right action at any point in time. Um, so, you know, if we, if we decided the diagnosis was like, I am at risk of diabetes, I have diabetes in my family, so I wanna get healthy so that I can live a long, healthy life. And the guiding policy is, um, you know, I'm gonna adhere to like well-documented nutritional um, uh, knowledge uh, to inform, you know, my, diet choices. Mm. Um, and so like having defined that guiding policy, then you can go and create a set of, you know, call them projects or goals yeah. or whatever you say, all right, mm. my first project is I'm going to read three books about nutrition. Okay. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to, uh, it's funny, you know, we talk about like behavioral schema and like doing the same thing over and over this year. I was like, you know what? I always thought I was really bad at strategy, but I think it's just really hard. So let me see if I can just learn about this and do it successfully this year. So hopefully our strategy, well, this is, I, I started with just business strategy. You can apply mm -hmm. it to anything, but mm -hmm. hopefully our strategy will help inform what I'm working on day to day. But then on a more um, 
day-to-day you know, -day operational level. I set goals every quarter, every month, every week, and every day. Mm. Um, and just having that operating rhythm or that routine, um, that forcing function to step back and reflect and be intentional at sort of increasingly micro scale. Mm. Um, it makes it, you know, if I've set clear goals at a quarterly level, it's a lot easier to set goals at a monthly level. If I've done that, then I can set goals at a weekly level. So it's sort of this interlocking system that um, helps keep the stress at the right level, mm. I would say, where like, and then even, yeah, like every day, um, you can see my to-do list here. I've taken notes in one corner of it, but uh -huh you know, the stuff at the top, there's only two things at the top. That's like work stuff that I have to do today. And then there's like a couple bonus items, but it gets to the point where when I'm thinking about my day, it's like really, really simple. Mm. And I'm just mm. like, Oh, there's only two things I could work on. If I can pick either one, it doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my current SOP. Cool. <laughs> well, I think uh, we're almost out of time, time now. Uh, how can people reach you or reach or learn more about focus mate? Um, you can go to our website, which is focusmate.com. That's focusmate.com. Um, and you can contact me through there. You can email me at CEO at focusmate.com. Mm. Um, yeah. You guys have a Facebook group too, right? We do actually. Uh, we have a very active thriving community on Facebook. Mm. Um, so if you just search for Focusmate on Facebook, you'll find us there too. Cool. Anything you want to add for any, anybody listening about stress or creativity? No, this was, it was awesome talking to you. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right. See you, Stuart. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next 100 years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks, have a great day.